Hello, my name is Jody Lee Mott, and welcome to Dream Gardens, where we talk up the kids' books we love. On this twice-monthly podcast, I interview other kids' books enthusiasts, such as writers, teachers, and librarians, about their own favorite children's books. This week's poem is titled Matter. It was written by Carol Diggory Shields, and it can be found in her poetry collection called Brain Juice, Science Fresh Squeezed. Uh, This was illustrated by Richard Thompson. Uh, Now, this book contains 41 different science-themed poems, including this one, which is about the concept of matter. Uh, Carol was a former children's librarian and an educator, and she's the author of several poetry books for kids, including such books as After the Bell Rings and Someone Used My Toothbrush. Matter by Carol Diggory Shields Matter can be solid, or a liquid, or a gas. Matter acts a lot like a bunch of kids in class. In a solid, all the molecules are lined up nice and neat, sitting close together, each one in his seat, just like in your class, of course, where not one kid is wiggling, passing notes or whispering, chewing gum or giggling. Then it's time for recess, and like solids melting down, they tumble out the doorway and down to the playground. Both molecules and kids in clusters and in pairs, twirling, jumping, bumping, flowing here and there. At 3 p.m. when school lets out, whippee, the kids just scatter, like molecules evaporating into gaseous matter. Then on Monday morning, they'll gather back at school, sitting in their classrooms, obeying every rule. My guest today is Mira Sriram. She is co-author of such books as Bijoy and the Big River and the Endangered Animals of India. In addition, she blogs about multicultural children's books and offers presentations with a focus on early literacy. You can find Mira's website at www.mirasriram.com. Thank you for joining me today, Mira. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Now, as I've said, you've co-authored several fiction and non-fiction picture books about India. And I'm wondering for children who read these books, what sort of picture idea do you want them to come away with after having read them? So I'm previously published in India, and these are uh, mostly narrative nonfiction, where I chose to explore several underrepresented communities within India. And uh, in most of these books, we explore their daily lives. And we also see how their lives are very intertwined with the natural setting where they live pretty much. Like in the book, Bijoy and the Big River, we actually travel to the northeastern part of India. And that's one of the corners, which is, I should say, very underrepresented in children's literature. And we follow the life of a boy, a little boy called Bijoy, who belongs to silk farming and the silkworm racing community in the northeast of India. And uh, you also see him growing up in the backdrop of a big river called the Brahmaputra that runs by the state of Assam in the northeast of India, and how he's fascinated by the endangered river dolphin, which inhibits the river. So in most of my books, I try to touch upon the environment, wildlife, and also how the lives are closely related to the, the habitat where the people or the community lives. In the endangered uh, animals of India, Typically, when we think of India, we think of the king cobra or the peacocks or the elephants or the Bengal tigers. But in this complete nonfiction book, we have a unique set of animals living in diverse habitats within India. 
For instance, the leatherback turtle, which is seriously endangered, inhabits the Indian Ocean. And then there's the uh, the pygmy hawk, which was once at one point declared to be extinct, but it's actually uh, was rediscovered in the grasslands in the Himalayan foothills. So we kind of explore and have a chapter for very unique animals in uh, India. I forgot to ask, who's your co-author? My co-author is Prabharam. She currently lives in India. I understand that you're trying to work on uh, developing other books as well. Yes. So the past few years, I've been uh, working on picture book manuscripts for an audience here in the U.S. I write on immigrant experiences and perspectives and also stories that are cross-cultural. I started writing because I was desperate to see children of color on uh, book covers and stories as strong protagonists. And I sort of look at it as a kind of activism in my own way. And uh, I do have some exciting things taking shape, but I'll hold off before I hold off until they become official. Now, you also blog about uh, multicultural books. And why do you think it's important for kids and adults, actually, to be exposed to books from, um, you know, both a variety of cultures and uh, different points of view? Yeah, I could go on and on about this. So I think it is very important for many children to see themselves represented in the stories that they read. Firstly, it's a validation for them of their identity, which is great uh, for self-esteem. And also, they just become better readers when they see their stories and their experiences reflected in books. But the more important reason is that when children see stories that talk about experiences out of their own, then even if they are not going through those experiences, their peers in school might be going through something like that. It could be the story of a neighbor or a friend or someone they know. And that, I think, is fundamental to developing empathy in them. And once there's empathy, then there's kindness, which I think is I think it's very important, particularly now more than ever, for humanity, uh, so to speak. So I think reading multicultural books and raising children to be world citizens are very, very crucial to humanity. Personally, I feel we don't see many books that are set even outside of the U.S. And if they are, they're mostly in Europe. So we need to see more stories set all over the world so we can kind of relate to our neighbors and friends and the larger community that we live in. You also do presentations uh, with a focus on early literacy. I should talk a little bit about uh, what that is and what you do. I believe in the power of books, particularly for younger children. Books are, yes, great, they're wonderful, they are fun, they teach stuff, but more importantly, they have the power to influence the thinking of uh, growing children. Uh, So in that sense, they are truly transformative. And this is something I talk about in my early literacy classes, how uh, families can rely on books for so many things, uh, to teach concepts, for uh, language development, for narrative skills, for raising better lifelong readers, for like many new experiences. And milestones that they come across while raising children. So I have a program called Little Lits that I run in a few cities in the Bay Area in which I uh, introduce a lot of uh, picture books that are handpicked for different reasons. And I incorporate components of music, crafts, 
movement, finger plays, storyboards, and puppets to make it uh, fun and interesting for families. Now, the book you chose as your favorite is actually two books, uh, The Number One Car Spotter and The Number One Car Spotter and the, and the Firebird. And they're both written by Antonuke, and they're illustrated by Warwick Johnson Cadwell. They're actually a part of a series of a total of five books. These two books were published in 2010 and 2011, respectively, by Walker Books. Uh, for readers who are probably not familiar with these books, can you tell a little bit about what they're about? Sure. The story is about a little boy living in a small village in a country in Africa. And uh, the village is very tiny and uh, very rural, as in there's no electricity, there are no uh, stores or tall buildings. And uh, our hero's name is Oluwalasi Babatunde Bensong, but he is called number one, like literally. People are like, number one, make yourself here, number one, do this, number one, go there. Uh, so that's his name. And the reason that he's called number one is because he has a special talent. And a special talent is car spotting. Now, uh, like I mentioned, the, the village has none of the modern amenities, but it does have a river and a big road that uh, passes by the village that connects bigger towns and cities. So number one special talent is actually spotting cars. He's always the first one to spot any of the fancy cars that pass through the village and he knows the make and the brand. So he's into cars and that's sort of his thing. And later on in the book, we see how this comes in very handy to him to solve problems. So in the series, we go through all the adventures that number one has in his uh, village and some of the everyday challenges of his community, how he comes up with ideas to solve them and also the smaller victories of the people in the village. And it's uh, delightful, it's hilarious, it's heartwarming, and it's a joy to read. In each of these books, like I said, there's sort of this overarching story, but they're divided in, in different sections. In each section, there's a, a problem to solve. And uh, even though he, he talks about his, his skill, his particular skill as being a car spotter, he also has this skill, as you mentioned, being this uh, creative problem solver, because each one of these problems that he or the village is confronted with, he does come up with an interesting solution. The thing I love about number one is that he's always thinking. He has a very curious mind, which is always very uh, stimulated, and he never gives up. So there are many instances in the book where he's made fun of, people are ridiculing him, he's being laughed at, but he always has this in him to pick himself up and uh, think beyond that and see how he can revive himself or redeem himself from the state that he was in. And there's also the sense of just wanting to do good for his people, which comes through in many of the stories. Like in the very first chapter, it's about how the village cart collapses. And he comes up with this wonderful idea and he acts on it. And there's so much selflessness in it where he runs for miles and miles to bring someone to fix the cart and he gets the village going. Uh, so there's that selflessness that I totally appreciate in him. And he's also very clever, like you mentioned. He's quick to think and come up with these ideas, like the, in one story with the slingshot, where there's a leopard that enters the village and starts stealing the goats. And he, he connects the dots and he uses the chili pepper that, that set him on fire earlier to kind of like scare the leopard away. So he uses things around him to come up with these ideas because he's constantly thinking 
and and like I said, he is thinking for his people, for his village. This book has uh, it's a contemporary book, and I think as you mentioned, it's set in an African country. We're never really told the name of the country, although we can assume. Uh, I believe the authors talked about basing it on some of her own childhood memories of living in Nigeria. And I'm just wondering what kind of picture does it give us of what does it mean to live in modern Africa, at least in this particular instance, at least this particular small village? You are correct. The country is not specifically mentioned, but we know from the authors growing up and her story that it is possibly said in Nigeria. And the other thing that I personally thought was that our baby connection was because there's the mention of Naira and Kobo, which is the currency of Nigeria. And this is what uh, I think the author wants us to see. Yes, there is a very rural village that is uh, very poor with no modern amenities. But the story is also about the fancy cars that are hero spots. And that clearly gives us an idea of how layered the society is. The dichotomy that we see there of a very modern place in a country in Africa, big cities, towns, which has so many cars like the, the, the Toyota Corolla, the Aston Martin, like they mention a host of car brand names. Like I'm personally not into cars, but I know they're all imported cars. Uh, and we see this rural village in very close juxtaposition. And that's the picture of a place in Africa that the author is trying to paint, which is in sharp contrast to what we are typically exposed to in the media and in books. We think of Africa, we think of like poverty and uh, diseases and uh, war and, you know, and and the, the picture that she's trying to give us is very realistic, authentic and honest. Uh, It's just like any other place where you see the dichotomy of both poverty and affluence, and they both closely juxtaposed. And that's, I think, very important for children to see. Uh, Along with this contrast between uh, rural life and the city life, there's also this conflict that sometimes happened between the traditional and the modern. I'm thinking specifically of one instance, uh, I believe it was uh, Mama Coca-Cola, who wants to uh, build a new house out of concrete as opposed to the traditional way of doing it and that sets up conflict and problems uh, uh, within the village itself yes that is something that i took away too it's how uh, the times have changed and there's always this uh, conflict of uh, modernization and how we are some sometimes uh, going away the traditional aspects that in our living that we have lived with for centuries so clearly in the the story where mama coca-cola's house which is made of clay and detached roof collapses in the rain and now she is fascinated by those modern houses with concrete and cement and an iron roof and she starts working towards building that but the entire village including the grandfather number one's grandfather points out how most of these roofs are end up rusty later on because they're made of iron and in the rains they're not going to uh, pull through same thing with how at the end she realizes that she's not even able to sleep in her own house because it gets too hot so i i believe this is really going to get children thinking about what were the older ways that were more environment friendly eco-friendly and why did we give up does it make sense to get ourselves modernized and technologically savvy in like every aspect of life that's an interesting thing that this book brings out 
Along with the setting, the description of the setting, um, it's the language of the story, how it's told, that really gives us a sense of place. Can you talk a little bit about how the author uses words and even names sometimes to really create the sense of a place in the book? The, The language of the author in the book is something that I really, really loved. Yes, the first time when children read it, it might sound a little difficult to grasp. It might sound a little weird to children growing up in the West who are not used to many other languages or dialects. However, I think it lends a lot of authenticity to the story, to the setting. It takes us back to that place when we hear people talking the way they're talking. And also, I think it's one of the dialects in the communities. And you see how there are many words from the dialect sprinkled, like the ogi porridge, the the jollof rice, the rapa, and the akara, the fritters that Mama Coca-Cola always fries. So we learn a little bit of the culture too when, when we see other languages uh, being used in books. So I love bilingual books for this reason. I think it just adds to that texture of storytelling when you see the language a little different from like the mainstream uh, literature that you read. It adds that little bit of the character and uh, texture to the story itself and where it is set and what it is about. Along with the setting and the language and the, the problem solving that the main character does, I think one of the appeals of the books is humor. There's a great deal of humor in the book. The humor is the best part of the book because for a story set in a really rural village in a country in Africa, where the people have like no electricity, like nothing at all, and they're still happy families. There's a curious boy who is solving, coming up with these wonderful ideas to solve problems, and he's funny, and he makes everyone laugh, and he's such a joy. And that's also the reason why we're able to read all the the conflicts and the challenges that come across comes across in the book. And um, I love the chapter in which they are trying to build Mama Coca-Cola's house. The workers have gone out for lunch and uh, number one and his friend Coca-Cola, they put their feet in the cement, they try to mix it and their feet are like stuck with cement now and and they just use it as an excuse to chill out in the afternoon. They're being served now and they do more car spotting. So that's how little boys are. It's really funny. I think many children can relate to it. And the ideas that he comes up with, like it sounds very foolish and stupid in the beginning, but then we see later on how it makes so much sense. And not to forget the Kaurala, how he comes up with the idea of the cows pulling the the Kaurala car, and then he calls it the Kaurala. That's hilarious. It cracked me up so much. So, yeah, so the humor is like kind of the glue for the book. Now, we talked, obviously, about number one, because he's the main character of the book, but we get to know a lot of other folks in the village and a little bit about them. I'm just wondering, is there one character that stands out for you as being particularly memorable besides number one? Yes, I really like the grandfather. He's such a wholesome character. I'm sure he his life was like rich with plenty of wise experiences. But in the book, in the stories, we see him just being idle. He doesn't do anything. He doesn't have a job. He's not really helpful around the house. He's just sitting there by the roadside uh, looking at cars, and he is like the guru for number one. He's the one person who taught him about car spotting. But we always see him in the background as constantly motivating and cheering on number one 
he's the first one to support or to encourage number one to go through with his idea and he's such a pillar of support for the village itself even when mama coca-cola's house breaks down he comes up with the idea how the whole village needs to come together to build a house for, for her he's always like this wise old man for the village uh, even though he doesn't do anything on a daily basis so i love his character he's very optimistic he's very wise he's also funny and i love the fact that he just spends his day idling now are there any particular passages from the book or books that you'd like to share sure uh thank you for asking i want to read aloud the opening paragraph which is the very first paragraph in the first book so i'll read it aloud and then i'll talk a little bit about it on the continent of africa you will find my country in my country there are many cities all with skyscrapers hotels offices there are also many smaller towns all with tap water and electricity and television then there is my village where we only talk about such things so this paragraph i think is very very important for children to read we start out with saying the author starts out with saying continent of africa you will find my country this is almost funny sadly that we have a need to say this because there are many times when i would hear a talk or read an article in which the author or speaker would go on to say something like many countries like china japan france canada and africa so there is a tendency to lump all these countries like 50 plus countries in africa to one place and give them this one identity which is very sad and factually incorrect and by doing that over and over again then we are kind of perpetuating that to children so i think it is i'm not sure if the author intended for it to be that way but i think it's really important and i appreciate her for doing that for saying that there's a continent of africa and then there are countries in africa and then in the same paragraph she goes on to talk about the skyscrapers hotels and offices in cities and towns and then the rural village itself which can only dream of those things so like we talked about she is painting this very realistic picture of africa that we do not see very often in uh, books and in media of how a place in a country in africa it's just like any other place where there is all layers of society and class in a city or a town or a village and i think uh, it's very refreshing and important for children to be uh, reading this the second paragraph is from the number 1 car spotter and the firebird in my village sissy is number 1 at school coca cola is number 1 at counting Tuesday is number 1 at slingshot. Emergency is number 1 at running. Nike is number 1 at catching chickens and I am the number 1 car spotter. Grandfather says there's no need to be number 1 at more than one thing. That way we need one another. Call it cooperation, call it friendship. If we were all number 1 at everything, we would no longer have any use for each other. And then what would be the point of being a human race? I love this paragraph because it's also the overarching aspect that I noticed in all the stories. It gives us a glimpse into the wonderful feature of communal living in traditional families in uh, places in Africa. It uh, brings out also the interdependence that we have as a species. Here grandfather says how we don't have to be good at everything and we need to cooperate and be friends and help each other. this also comes through when he suggests how the 
the girls and the women should be stamping and and digging mud for to build the house while the boys would be climbing and the rest of the village would be cooking for the people uh, working hard to build the house so he's always distributing these uh, jobs to different people uh, depending on what they're good at depending on their skills so it gives us an idea about culturally how there's a sense of community in this village and probably in this country in, in Africa and which is also very different from the individualistic societies in the west there's nothing wrong it's just there are two different things and it's nice to know how people live in other parts of the world outside of where we live and to take the good aspects uh, that comes from that culture so i really think that's a very beautiful paragraph that gives us a window into traditional communities in africa thank you for sharing that and thank you mir uh, so much for introducing these uh books to me which i had not really been familiar with and for taking the time to talk about them today thanks for talking to me i loved sharing them with you you can find mira's website at www.mirasriram.com thank you for joining me on dream gardens the theme music titled all together is provided courtesy of purple planet music you can visit them at www.purpleplanet.com podcast cover art is provided by creative pro 180 courtesy of fiber which can be found at www.fiber.com you can visit me at jleemot.com or follow me on Twitter at dreamgardensjlm. The Dream Gardens podcast is also available through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, please comment, share, or subscribe. Until next time, keep dreaming, keep growing, and keep reading. Mm-hmm.